Hello guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I actually have a little bit of something to say before the episode. This is a very special episode today. Uh, something awesome happened, and I'm sure most of you guys know what this episode is. If you read the title, if you are close to me at all, I probably told you. If you follow me on Instagram, you already know. But today is a very awesome episode. So I also wanted to say that today I actually have my video podcast over on Spotify. I don't do video podcasts all the time, but today on the special occasion, there is a video podcast and there's going to be a segment of this uh, episode where it's going to be just a video. So you can probably hear the things going on, but I do encourage you to watch the video version if you have the time. If you don't and you just have earbuds and you're at work, you're perfectly fine. You'll be able to understand everything that's going on and you'll be able to hear. But it's one of those things where I, it's it was a really special time in my life, so I wanted to actually have video format out there for, honestly, me, so I can watch it again uh, in my upcoming years. So yeah, without further ado, let's just hop right into it. to the Godcast with Benjamin Shelby. It is my goal that through this episode, not only you can see that the Bible is accessible to you, applicable to your life, but also attainable to live through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you enjoy this episode today as we are diving deep into the Word of God. And I pray that not only you're hearing this episode, but you also open up your heart so you can live by the truth and the Word of God, and your life can be changed the same way mine was. country is a dark and divided place. But in that tent, there's hope and unity and miracles that I can't even explain. I'd like you to meet my new friend, Lonnie Frisbee, and some of his friends. Welcome. These kids are runaways, most of them. Because I need our help. Chuck, stop. They don't belong here. Agreed? There's this church. It's called Calvary Chapel. When we say we're looking for truth, what if this is true? Because everything that we've been trying is not working for me. I just can't be let down again. What I felt in there, I haven't... What if it's good for a minute and then it's gone? What then? We can find out together. Seems the movement's everywhere. Los Angeles, even in the South. It's spreading like wildfire. Is this the beach where people get baptized? We drove all the way here. Where from? Texas. I don't know if any of this is real. I kind of hope it is, to be honest. It's a family, man. Don't give up on it. Christian 
So what you just watched was the Jesus Revolution trailer. And if you haven't seen Jesus Revolution yet, it is still in theaters where I'm at. Um, if you're in the northern Indiana area, at least, it's still in theaters uh, all around us. And I've already seen the film twice. I really love the film. Uh, some people aren't as crazy about it as I am. Um, but I think if you go, you'll get something out of it. And I think you'll be challenged because it's really interesting. And it, it, it deals with this idea of love and Christian love. And it's... It's just a beautiful film. I really enjoyed it, as you can tell, because the guest today that I have on is the co-director of it and and um, composer, which is awesome. So, yeah, uh, Brent McCorkle, he agreed to come on, so I'm so thankful that he did that. This is a huge, huge milestone in my life. I've, I've always loved film, you know, ever since I can remember. So to be able to use this platform that God has given me and reach out to him, and he agreed to come on and uh, just share his testimony and his heart behind this film. It was really, really awesome. So I encourage you to uh, stick until the end because we, me and Brent had a really great conversation about love and about how God's love is stronger than what even sometimes we as Christians give it credit for. And no matter where you are in your life, no matter how much sin you have, no matter how uh, far down you've gone in life, God loves you, and God wants to reach you right now. So that's that's a really basic overview of what we talk about today. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in, and um, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hey, Brent, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, it was just an absolute treat. So without further ado, here is the moment that you all have been waiting for and that I was waiting for for the longest time, the interview with Brent McCorkle. Hey, man. Good to be here, dude. Thanks for inviting me to be on. Good, good. I'm so happy that um, you you accepted. So, you know, obviously, you got a little bit of nerves going on, so I'm going to try to get over that. And the way I get over nerves is asking uh, questions. So are you ready just to hop right in? Let's do it, dude. Okay, awesome. So my first question for you is, um, what is your favorite film director? Like the most influential it's been in your life? Uh, hands down, Steven Spielberg. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, think, um, I think he's a profound genius and an artist, but he makes movies for the masses. Mm. And he's not too pretentious to do a popcorn movie that like millions and millions of people will love, but he can also run off and do an art house film that, you know, is definitely going to play for less people. And I mean, he's again, you know, he's approaching 80. He just got nominated for another Academy Award. I mean, the guy can just, he can do it all. He can do, yeah. you know, one year um, he had, he had two movies come out one year. And to me, this is, um, this is where I think he doesn't get enough street cred, but the movies were Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, the guy, yeah, I mean, the guy is just, he is our great yeah. to me, uh, but I do love it that um, he wants his movies to play for mass audiences. Um, mm -hmm. I think he would love it if his art films played for mass audiences. I think he just wants a bunch of people to go to the movies and enjoy it. And then on top of that, he's a religious dude. Um, yeah. he's a spiritual dude and in general he will bring some sort of judeo-christian ethic or construct to his work um, he's a very devout jewish guy and um, mm -hmm. so i find a lot of depth in his work even in yeah. uh, of his popcorn movies that he does he just he calls it a lesson but um 
but you know, like whatever you call it, a theme or a message or a lesson, like, you know, whatever, whatever language you put around it, he's, he's trying to give you uh, something, a, a deeper, um, you know, like deep calls to deep, right? He's trying to give you a deeper layer in his filmmaking that mm -hmm. I really appreciate as well. So yeah, big Spielberg fan over here. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you, so I assume you caught uh, his most recent movie then, The Fablemans? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, we just watched that one. I wasn't able to catch it in theaters. I just watched it like a week ago or so. And I thought that movie, like you were saying, like, you know, popcorn flick, but also it had some really deep, you know, messages to it. And I really appreciated what he put there. So, no, that is a, that is a great choice. Yeah, yeah, a huge fan. Huge yeah. fan. Yep. Well, as I can see, even in the background here, we got a bunch of music stuff. So you are also a composer from what I've read up on, right? That is correct. I, uh, I directed this movie with John Irwin and I composed all the music for it as well. Yeah. So it's pretty wild, pretty wild to wear those two hats on a, on a film, but I, I enjoy it. I'm a musician first and uh, I always, I always kind of throw myself under the bus and make fun of myself, but I'm a musician who happens to make films for a living, you know, and I right. bring all my musical sensibilities to things and somehow it seems to, to work at least to some degree. <laughs> Right, right. So uh, I'm, I was going to ask this later, but I think this is a good time. So when you're directing in the director's seat as well, does it kind of help you gauge how to do the uh, composing for the music? Because you can like feel it as you're directing it. You know what I mean? If it, if it helps, um, they go hand in hand. I would say so. I, I, I feel like um, I feel like score is it's one of those silos in filmmaking that often gets looked over and taken for granted but i mean if you have a great movie score or at least something that's good um it makes the acting feel better it makes the scenes feel better it make the, makes the cuts feel better if you have a bad score or a score that's not working it's really bizarre but it um it exposes the cuts makes the scene fall apart makes the acting feel bad it's very strange uh, it's a really powerful experience to walk through so i always walk i always walk into a I always walk to a scoring scoring session like scared out of my mind because like you don't want to do anything that takes makes it take a step back. All, all you want to do is like amplify the greatness right. that's already there. You're not going to make a bad scene good, uh, but you can make a a good scene bad. So um, mm, I like so, that. So yeah, man. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I mean, on set, if I'm in tears on set, just on a performance, that's like dry. That's like all the crews real quiet, all the cast real quiet. And, and that's just raw human emotion, you know? So like, if I get choked up watching the monitor, like I know, like when the music gets behind it, it's going to be a tsunami of emotion. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can feel it, man. You can feel it on set sometimes for sure. And um, obviously I'm thinking in terms of music, like I made a, I made an eight hour playlist of all this period music and a couple of my daughters are, are audio files and they helped me put some stuff together, but I made this big long playlist and then the editors uh, pulled from that. And uh, I, I passed that playlist along to a lot of the cast and the crew. They found out I made it. They're like, Hey, can I get that? And so, um, so yeah, yeah, that was really wonderful. But yeah, I mean, I just, everything, my approach is so musical, like from the mm. beginning. Um, and if I'm having a hard time or I need to think or I need to write, uh, I usually will go back to film scores. So it's just, yeah, uh, I always, when I was first starting out, even in some of my interviews, I'll say like, I think I became a filmmaker as an excuse to get to score, you know, <laughs> cause that's the, it's where I start and it's where I end, right. you know? And so, right. um, 
so yeah man it's i'm definitely you're definitely talking to a musician you know so um so yeah i love it i I love it i want people i want people to feel movies and i think that's the musician's heart in me like yeah um, i'm definitely less I, I definitely care less about how someone intellectualizes a movie. I mean, obviously the technicalities have to be there where you can intellectually just push all that stuff to the side and, and, and get into the story. But I'm way more, way more attenuated to how it hits a heart, you know, how it, yeah. the soul. And I think that's the, probably the musician in me for sure. Right. And, and to that point, I, I went and watched this film. I've seen it twice now in the theaters and the one time, like, you're exactly right, because I, I, I walked in there alone because I had a little bit of off time before I was doing a missionary supper. So I went, walked in there alone, and the theater was pretty packed. This was, like, third weekend, and the theater was still packed. So I go in there, and I'm sitting in between two guys, like, these two big guys. And, uh, dude, I am sobbing through multiple, multiple parts of the movie, just because you're right. It, it makes you feel, like, in your deepest part of you, just the emotions that you want to convey, which again, partially is due to the great direction, but I think a lot of it has to go to the composing aspect of it. So. Yeah. And I would say, I would say every little, every little uh, piece that everybody on the team brings in, it, it adds as a little stack to the emotional dam that you hope will break. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but uh, these performances, I think in particular, um, if you listen to the score, it's very sparse. There's just, there's not a lot of stuff happening. I just pump the least amount of music into it because the performances are so solid in this movie. Like I just really try to keep the score as minimal as possible. And I, I'm a minimalist composer anyway, but yeah, man, I appreciate you saying that, but I would just say um, it really, the performances are just so robust that um, you know, the score is just accentuating you know yeah. what's up right there. it's amplifying it like you said yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah well so on that note as i'm talking about composing what what would be your favorite film composer oh yeah well similar to spielberg the guy that i i've never met him i've never spoken to him if 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 i did i would profoundly thank him but it's uh, thomas newman is the composer okay. uh he's been nominated oh gosh almost 20 times for oscars and i think he's only won once or twice he hasn't won that many he's kind of like the john williams like similar like mm-hmm. john williams been nominated for so many and he's only won you know a couple times but um but like uh, that someone's being nominated again and again and again that should tell you something about their work but um he's not flashy his stuff's real quiet and it doesn't bring attention to itself but i could just start rattling off films that you would say oh yes i had a profound feeling when i saw that movie and it's just his work he uh he writes scores that you feel and you don't hear them. You just feel them. So Finding Nemo, um, Wally, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, American Beauty. Uh, I mean, just all these wonderful, uh, uh, what was it? Um, oh, it, it's the, uh, it's the, the, the kids that are orphans. Oh, Lemony Snake, a series of unfortunate events. The, the movie um, yeah. in the early 2000s, which you know, a lot of people didn't, you know, didn't vibe with, but the score was, the score was incredible. He's just, he's a very, very underrated composer because he gets you in touch with your emotions without you really knowing that it's the music that's doing it. And so um, he's one of those guys, he works more like in ambience and atmospherics. And I really do that as well. And um, 
you could never hum anything. Like I could be like, hum something from Finding Nemo. Uh, you, know, you can't. Yeah. But Finding Nemo has a profound frequency that it vibrates on. And like, yeah, you know, so much of that is just the score. It's just a beautiful, like I would say, you know, if you want to check out quintessential Thomas Newman, check out Nemo and Wally. They're just groundbreaking, amazing scores. Um, but he just understands that the music is not there to be musical in and of itself. The music is there to push story for. He's a storyteller. And yeah. he only brings in the music that makes the story feel better. And so I really look up to him. I've, I heard some of his stuff when I was very young and I knew that it was very special. And I really started going to school on his almost like his spirituality like his philosophy his his spiritual and philosophical approach to score has really really informed me i'm, I'm definitely like a little thomas newman um i don't there there are people out there way more talented than me musically like you know I, i'm not i'm actually really not a great musician i'm good i'm good at a lot of stuff but i'm not great and um but what i do know how to do is uh, not write music that is for music's sake, but music for the sake of the story. And he right. really, he's really like the guru that I go to, uh, you know, to inspire my own work for sure. Right. And like your film along with, and I guess I never even realized, but yeah, you look at like movies like Wally and like Finding Nemo, there's a, there's a big emotional hit to it. And Wally, none of the characters really speak. You know, it's just like, it's all pretty much the music. And yeah, so, you're right. That can really elevate the, the emotions. And that's the same way that I felt for your film. Like I said, uh, even second time I went in there, um, I was, still, I was crying again. And my, I took my mom the second time because she didn't see it. So <laughs> she's like, why, what's your deal? I'm like, can you not feel like, you know, can you not feel the emotion in the music there? And it's just, I don't know, especially during the baptism scene in the beginning and then the middle, which I'd like to get into a little bit later, but like, you can just feel the emotion and I think it, it hit the right notes perfect, perfect time. But yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I'm glad that that kind of got uh, the, the can open. So the first question I have for you is your personal testimony. Like you're a Christian. What, what made you, you know, find God or what helped you propel that situation? Yeah. Well, I was raised in the church. I'm, I'm happy that I was, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of beauty in being raised in a, a, a church environment. So I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew up with it. Uh, I mean, I was baptized when I was five years old, you know, um, um, and a big part of me being raised in the church was I was, I was an artist and I didn't know it. Um, and the church that I was in really encouraged kids who, were into artistic things to like flex on that or like you know spend more time doing that so right. um, so i got to do i got to act i got to sing uh i learned how to play piano in the church i became a worship leader i, I was a worship leader for decades um and i don't know if you're familiar with any of malcolm gladwell's work or not but he advocates for this ten thousand hour rule and basically if you want to get good at anything you have to get ten thousand hours of hard reps in on whatever you want to be good at, you know, or, or maybe even great at. So looking back now on my trajectory, I got my 10,000 hours of reps in, in the church. 
And if you look at shows like America's Got Talent, American Idol, so many of those kids come a church background. And in coming from a church background, they got a bunch of hours in and they were allowed to fail and sing off off key at the beginning and play bad notes on the piano. And um, uh, there was a story. There's a story about me that that's kind of kind of interesting. But um, I went to a Christian school and there was a time in the chapel uh, towards the end where some people were really hurting or something and crying and they went forward and people were praying for them. And it was kind of dead. And, uh, and it was a real hard time for these kids. So I just, I couldn't play very good at all, but I just felt like I needed to go to the piano and just play something. And I started playing and, uh, my mentor, my, my musical mentor was in the back. And, uh, she she told my mom later she said he was playing like all the wrong notes and just like butchering this song he goes but but like the spirit hit you know like it was it changed the room and uh not again that's nothing i can take credit for i just went up and was obedient was like this kid that could barely play like playing all these wrong notes and yet there was something magical that happened in chapel that day and so all that to say I was raised in an environment where I could make a bunch of mistakes and be an idiot and not know what I'm doing, but still be not get canned off the piano, like get to get up there again the next week and maybe play a little bit better, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, man, that's, that's my biggest uh, gratitude, I think for being raised in the church. The other thing I I was raised in a, I was raised like a charismatic Pentecostal persuasion. And there was something very beautiful there too, where if somebody was hurting, are really sad or they were getting a divorce or found out somebody had cancer or they had cancer or like somebody in their family died or whatever it was, they would stop the service and bring the person up to the front and they would oftentimes be crying and a bunch of people would get around them and just put hands on them and cry with them, pray with them, you know, and it's like, it really had a profound impact on me. Um, It shows up in my work a lot. Um, So I wrote the scene where they stopped the service for the paralyzed guy and put hands on him. Like that's, that's just important to me to show that side of my upbringing and just how powerful mm-hmm. that was. And that, um, that you don't have to be such a traditionalist, like that it is about people and hurting people and yeah. stop your little ritual or whatever your traditions are to like be with people and put like, and be in their pain, be in their suffering, put hands on them, pray for them, cry with them. And, um, so anyway, I love that scene. I love how it turned out, but that's really um, kind of a, uh, that's an homage or a callback to my upbringing and just a lot of the beautiful things I saw growing up. No, I love that because oftentimes I think in the church, we can be, you know, so caught up in, oh, we, we do a song, you know, announcements, two more songs, a special then you know, the message, like we get into that, but just the idea that somebody came in and needed help and then everybody was there to, to help them and pray for them and ask, you know, God's help on their, on their situation. No, that, that part was absolutely beautiful. So I, I love that backstory that, you know, yeah. So would that happen quite often then? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I liked it in this movie. Uh, it was a bit of a challenge to people because I mean, he definitely screamed out. He was, he was not, he was, he was, um, psychologically and emotionally imbalanced so in another church they would have just grabbed they would just grab the wheelchair and wheeled them out somewhere else like okay it's fine they're they're dealing with them anyway what was i saying oh yeah i was preaching in this but like i wanted to go the opposite direction just be like no let's stop what is going on you know and like this guy's hooked on heroin you know let's 
he needs help. Like he's beyond us. Let's, you know, and, and what's crazy about some of the research I did in the Jesus movement is that stuff really happened. People, people would come in and strung out on heroin and they would kind of have this crazy, profound spiritual experience in these services where their brain would rewire. And the next morning they don't even want heroin anymore. I mean, it's just some wild, wild stories that defy human explanation. They definitely like getting in touch with something bigger than a faith healer or a Christian minister. Like they're touching the, they're touching their higher power, you know, and, and uh, in spite of all the human flaws and everything. So yeah, it was, it was important to, to show that these guys were willing to stop their service and their little rituals to, to help somebody. And, um, but yeah, no, that, that would happen quite often. And um, luckily I was in a church that didn't shut that down, you know, like they're like, what, what's going on? Okay, guys, come here. You know, they would pray for him, you know? So yeah, it was was cool, man. But, but yeah, though, I think those two things in my upbringing, just to see, to see this culture that really loved on on artists that didn't even know they were artists i didn't really figure out i was an artist till my late 20s i just thought everybody was i thought everybody had these crazy creative things in their mind all the time i just thought oh, okay cool you know but i was i'm different you know i'm built i'm i'm wired as an artist and uh that's there's a lot of good things that come with that a lot of bad things and you know i found my church family to be very nurturing and loving to me in my weirdness Right. <laughs> my, you know, my overwhelming uh, quest for, uh, you know, to be creative and, and to be artful, whatever that means, you know. Right. And God clearly used that. I mean, what is, you know, wh- what's the domestic or the box office right now? Is it not like 45 million right now? We're actually at 49, uh, 49. At, at the time of this taping. So we'll hit 50 million sometime this week. I don't know when. And then mm. it's definitely starting to taper off. So it'll probably be, right. it's going to end. It's going to end domestically somewhere in the low 50s, probably. Right. Which yeah, I'll take, man. After, after the pandemic, especially after COVID, man, I'll take it, dude. That's a, mm. that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big show showing uh, in the cinema for a little drama. So I'm, I'm very, very happy. And I, I've been, like I said, I went twice locally. And I think I went the, the fifth weekend also. I went in there and there was still probably 30, 40 people in the theater still like, especially around here, you know, small town it, people are just going back and rewatching it and rewatching it. So it was really well done. And I think a lot of people appreciated, you know, something different, like, and something that I noticed in, in the film, which is not, you know, it's, it's not really buried in a bunch of stuff. It's very open. It's like people are searching for truth problem is searching for it in the wrong area you know what i mean so i think people you know telling uh word of mouth being like yeah i think this can really help you like this film because i've i've heard of people you know going into the theater and coming like there was this one person i was watching on tiktok i don't know if you saw it but the the theater power went down for for whatever reason i don't remember so somebody was able to stand up and give the gospel to everyone in the theater and like three or four people got saved in the theater just because of that work. You know what I mean? So God's using that talent that was nurtured in your church to go out to, you know, millions of people. So it was just, it's an amazing thing to see how if you let God use what he's given you in you, then he can take it farther than anyone ever would have expected. So. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, I think my big, my big thing I was trying to do with this movie is put more love out into the world. I think we live in a really, really hostile world right now. I think we live like with the most division in our world that I've ever seen, even in, even uh, in our country, uh, in the church, uh, you know, politically, screens are not helping. You know, a kid can just tune everybody out in their whole family and just look at their screen. So screens are dividing us and not like, not like trying to politically divide us or anything, but just that, you know, I always tell people now, I have five kids, I'm married. If I got on a road trip now, when I was a kid, we'd play games in the car and laugh and tell jokes and like, you know, just talk or whatever. And, you know, sometimes read a book or whatever. But now, man, get in the car. If we got on a road trip, earbuds in immediately. Everybody's watching, you know, seven different types of content. It's so, so um, again, it's not a calculated thing or it's not some big brother trying to do this to us, I don't believe. But at the same time, screens innocuously are serving to divide as well so i just think it's so amazing that all these different like you went with your mom all these different generations of people are going to see jesus rev which yeah. really makes me really makes me happy because i think screens can also unify right it just as much as they divide so you have different generations coming together in a theater to share a screen and that that means a lot to me and then on top of that man it's our world needs more love our world needs more kindness our world needs more acceptance and looks so for a brief moment you actually saw uh this really square hyper conservative fundamentalist uh evangelical pastor open up his world to something he didn't understand and even these people that he low-key kind of hated you know like he just despised them um kind of on a political level especially and uh but instead he really felt like God was dealing with his heart to open up the doors of the church to everyone. And um, so for a brief blip in American history, you just see these crazy different, different, you know, disparate groups come together under the banner of Christian love. And I just think it's a beautiful moment in time. And I think, I think our, um, for many of us in our country, our hearts cry is for this just more unity and more kindness and love of the other. And, I think not only do I think it's one of the main tenets of Christianity, I think it's actually a Christian mandate. Like we're supposed mm -hmm. to love no matter what. And I think a lot of people have lost sight of that. And so, so yeah, man, to hear the conversations uh, uh, around this movie and people going back to see it over and over again, and, I, and just they're being stirred. And um, I heard an older woman say something like, it was really great and entertaining and I laughed a lot, but in the end I left like really challenged and that made me happy mm -hmm. because while it is a fun, exuberant movie, we really, really wanted to be joyful and make people laugh and just have a good time. Like obviously, but I think, I think in the day and time in which we live, I think it really is time to challenge some of these notions in the church and in our culture and call people back to love. And so I'm really excited about those stories, especially. Yeah. And, and one thing I love about the film is, you know, there, there's a fine line that you have to walk when you're doing stuff like this, you know, because on one hand, and I can tell this is what you guys saw is you don't want people to say like, yeah, you should, you should stay in your sin. You know, you should, you should, uh, you know, keep doing drugs. You should keep doing all these things that's destroying you. But one thing I loved about your film is that it showed 
God accepts you where you're at, but he loves you enough to get you out of the problems we got ourselves in. And I think you guys really just, you nailed it. You know what I mean? In that area. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have really, I have really deep views around this and it causes me to get in some trouble with people, but I think, um, uh, what you, what you have in Christianity a lot is, is more of like a moralist religion. Um, so you've got to be X, Y, and Z, even before you can come to church, uh, you know, you shouldn't smoke. You, you definitely shouldn't have any thing going on, like in your sexual life that is, uh, you know, that's outside the traditional bonds of, of marriage and, you know, so, so or, or drinking or drugs or any of these things. Um, I personally find that that's backwards and I don't think it's scriptural because Jesus, uh, what he was accused of in the religious community was hanging out with sinners, <laughs> which, you know, like, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know? Uh, and so, um, I personally believe my, my personal theology is this, if, if there is something in someone's life that they need to let go, you're not gonna, if, if you're gonna, if you're going if you're going against them on a moralist level, like, well, this is wrong in your life. No, nah, that's the last conversation you have with that person. Like you're done. Yeah. So I would rather, I'm, I'm of the, the pendulum swung the completely different, you know, uh, and there, there'll be like, if you did a podcast and they watched it, you know, you might podcast with the next person. They might be like, he's absolutely wrong. You know, everybody's got their own opinion about this, but like right. my personal view and my personal feeling is like, if you believe there is a Holy spirit, out there at work among everybody if you believe that everybody's made in the image of god all these things are biblical ideas then i personally feel and believe that we need to leave room for the holy spirit to work it's not my job it's my job to love well and to follow the mandates of christ who said um hey people are going to hate you love them anyway as a matter of fact bless those who curse you and love your enemies. I mean, who does that? You know, so, so that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm focusing on and putting all my attention into, and I'm less concerned about someone coming to my exact worldview or my exact political beliefs and all this stuff. I think that really sidetracks us. I think, you know, if you look at Christianity, if you look at the, the holy texts of Christianity, it mentions love the word love more than any other world religion. So I would really just, I would love for Christianity to show up in the world like that. I would love for Christians to show up in the world like that and the church to show up in the world like that. But unfortunately, oftentimes it doesn't. Um, and so I think in our movie, it was pretty cool, but Chuck put his moralism down. Like he was so, you know, everybody thought the world was ending and culturally the world's going to hell in a handbasket and stuff, but he still let these crazy kids in and, if you really get deep into some of the Jesus movement and Jesus revolution stories, I actually did a podcast last week. It was so crazy, but this is real. Okay. okay. Kids would kids would be like, Oh, have you heard these, these hippie preachers, man? They're talking about Jesus. It's pretty wild, but a bunch of people are going, you want to go? Yeah. All right, cool. Let's get stoned. And they would like blaze up and then they would go to church, you know, and then yeah. they would believe it or whatever. And like, they would keep smoking weed, or like reading their Bible. But over time in their own like personal walk, they're like, you know what? I don't really need, I don't think I really need this weed. Like I thought I used to. And like, you know, and so there would be these natural spiritual changes that would happen as they 
pushed into their own relationship with God. And that's really more of what I'm about. But yeah, this lady I talked to last week on a podcast, just like with you, but um, and I mean, she's like hardcore Christian, you know, but, but she remembered they did a, they did a bunch of Coke, you know, they were just like, Oh, let's go hear this hippie preacher at this church. And it was in San Diego. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, let's do a bunch of cocaine. And so they do, they blasted a bunch of cocaine and they went to see this preacher, you know? So, yeah. But what's, I, I guess to me, what's so cool about that is there was a time where kids knew they could blaze up or snort a bunch of Coke and still go to church and hear a message about Jesus. And I don't know, I just wish our culture would get back to that idea because a lot of kids made a decision to follow after Jesus uh, during this time, but they had to be allowed the opportunity to come. To, to come and check it out. And so to me, man, when I read the Bible and I look at Jesus, I'm very encouraged, but I'm also hyper challenged by how he lived his life. And, and I believe he showed us the model, but he was very much come as you are except for the religious leaders that were these moralists that pretended like they had it all together. And those are the ones he had the really harsh words for. So I'm definitely like a come as you are follower and I'm going to leave the rest in bigger hands than mine because that's above my pay grade. You know, right. I'm an artist yeah. that makes film and I feel like the greatest thing that we're missing right now, like in our theology is a, a generous love for all mankind even um, even people that don't look like you, believe like you, may, who may never believe like you, um, that those are the last things on my mind. The things um, the things on my mind is this idea that um, above your faith, above your politics, above your worldviews, above uh, your values, above right and wrong, is the love of God. And if you could bring that tangibly into everyone's life, I know the world would change in a fundamental way. And it, are, it does. It does when that happens. But I think collectively, a lot more beauty could happen in the world if we just had this return to the love of God, the love of Jesus, how Jesus like poured himself out for all these people outside of the church. And I always tell people, like, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. So if he would have done what all the other rabbis done, we wouldn't have a religion around him. But he he didn't he didn't just open up the scripture, the scrolls, and teach in church like everybody else did. He was like out with the people and really out trying to make a difference. And um, and so yeah, I just I really look at him as uh, not just uh, someone who died for all of mankind, but also I think he showed us what it would take to follow him and i think that's a that's a big piece that we're missing right now yeah. in, in the cult in the cultural west i feel like i i agree with that because even when you think about you know and it goes back to what you were saying with um you know uh, the people praying in church you know when someone was uh came in sick or whatever like and they had a problem when jesus was walking in a, in a multitude of people and somebody, you know, the woman reached out and touched his clothes. And he's like, who touched me? He wants to stop and, and you know, find the people that have faith for him. He, he stops and he's like, hey, I'll, I'll help you. You know, he looks at the woman who, in this multitude of people, even the disciples said, she's a nothing. She's a nobody. Why would you stop and help her? But he stopped, turned around and said, you know, and, and healed her of the sin. And yeah, I think, Jesus, I think, 
I think you're right about that. Jesus, he came and he died on the cross, right? He, he did do that. That's historically proven all that stuff. But he came also and lived a life. You know, that, that one point where he died, that was great. That saved mankind. But he came and he lived a life to show us that we can also have that love for people. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. preaching now, man. You're preaching now. So, yeah, I have I have totally different. Like, I love it. Um, I've actually been being schooled up by a guy who understands like um, some more of the Hebrew and like the Judaic law of the time. So when it says Jesus was a stumbling block to the people of his time, it's because when he told these stories, when he told his parables, they were incendiary. Like they people were like, what? Like it was scorched earth because the endings were always trick endings. So in the parable of the prodigal son, he runs away, does all his money, blows all his money on drugs and, you know, ends up in the gutter and eating with pigs on stuff. But when he comes home and, and asks his dad for help in the Judaic tradition of the time, the, all the elders and the father himself are supposed to drag that kid out and stone him in front of everybody. Like he brought so much disgrace on his family. When he did that, he squandered his inheritance, but instead at the, the ending of Jesus story is like, and the father rejoiced and said, my son is home. Let's, let's have a banquet. Let's party. You know, and of course the brother yeah. was mad. Well, the brother in the story was the, the religion, you know, he was the, the type of like the religious leaders that were judgment, you know? And he's like, he's like, bro, don't be mad. Like my son has returned and I love my son, you know? So it just, the stories that he told like that were just, were scorched earth, you know, like for the religious community, they're like, uh no you're supposed to stone him <laughs> like, you're not yeah. supposed to hug him and cry and say welcome home and throw a banquet that's not the right ending you know so but that's just how he was man and and you're right dude i think i think um people really miss the point with him like he he died on a cross and and that's like a huge part of it but he also showed us how to live and he showed us by example like what is possible uh, as a follower and so that's the stuff i'm really yeah. i'm really pushing into right now um i have really weird takes on the parables uh and even the stories so like when um when the disciples are asleep and that huge storm blows up on, and and jesus i'm sorry no the disciples aren't asleep jesus is asleep and uh they wake him up they're like man we're gonna die you know um i really feel like when he calmed the storm and everything, he did it because of all their anxiety and their fear. And they really thought they were going to die. But what I really think he was trying to say was if, if you were more like me, you would sleep through this and you wouldn't be afraid. You would have ultimate peace that passes all understanding in your heart. And even if the storm is like swamping the boat, you could just lay down and sleep with me, you know, but like yeah. that the, they didn't, they couldn't do that. You know, they, they weren't capable of doing that, but I think he showed them in many, many instances, what was possible um and like what yeah what the i don't know maybe what the example is or could be so yeah man he challenges me on a daily basis man i i i always tell people my my spiritual walk i feel like i'm on a really steep mountain and i'm just slowly pleading my way up to where i want to go but every time i look up like jesus is like standing on the mountain kind of with his hand out like come on come higher you can do this go go higher with me you know and i definitely feel that um i feel that in my faith um but so much of what he did and what he taught and what he said 
uh, it, it's a call back to love, loving the other. And uh, I, I, I try to remind people, like everybody's so quick to forget this, but Jesus and his disciples and the Jewish community lived under occupation. The, Rome, the Romans had occupied Israel and were their overlords, you know? So they were like, they didn't even really have their own country. They were occupied by the Romans. And so it was just pretty, it was pretty wild because Jesus didn't have time for the politics of the day. He actually was a king in a kingdom with all these crazy rules and these upside down things. And he's like, yeah, I don't have time for, I don't have time for earthly politics. So like now I think about this crazy invisible kingdom and this king that's saying, yeah, to really like operate in this kingdom and to do well, you need to be a servant. You know, like you need to wash the feet of people. You need to love your enemies. You need to um, blow these people away when they force you to carry something, just carry it further. Just see what they do. You know, like, um, I don't know, man, he had this beautiful, like nonviolent resistance to the occupation, but at the same time, all of it was in love. And like, when you see some of the greatest changes that have happened in the last 100, 200 years, it's Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and Martin Luther King, who all practice this nonviolent, but very active uh, push for, for social justice. And they're modeling it after the nonviolent uh, resistance and love of Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah. man, I'll start crying if I talk about it long enough, but you know, he showed us this way. And I, and that way, when I see people go as hard as they can into it, it changes the world. Uh, yeah. But I think a lot of people have, a lot of people look at Jesus where he's like, well, he died on the cross for my sins and I'm going to heaven and I'm going to read my Bible. And it's like, yeah, but man, like the word Christian actually came as a, it's a cuss word. It's a slang. And it's what like the Romans would call the followers of Jesus. But it was a, uh, it was slang, it was derogatory, but it's actually trans, the translation is little Christs. So it's like all these little Christs running around, we should wipe them out, you know, but um, it was slang, but like, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, like if that, if you really are a true Christian, what, what a beautiful moniker, if you're like running around trying to be like a little Jesus or a little Christ, yeah. I'm going to try to do that, you know, cause like, that's what he did. And um, I think we're missing a lot of that in the West, in the culture of today, like, um, it's it's about more action and i think i think that's why when chuck washes the feet of those kids i think it's why mm. um people just weep man because we want that and we know that it's true we know that it's right but like how many pastors do we know like wash like dirty feet of these people that he had kind of despised you know yeah. and uh, it's just a powerful overwhelming moment where you see this guy show up as jesus to these kids and i really think it was those those moments back in the jesus revolution the jesus movement that actually changed the course of yeah and, and if i can add something to that you know jesus there's two things that that jesus called himself he said he's full of grace and he's full of truth oftentimes we think oh well it has to be truth all truth or all grace you can't have both but he was both you know, he, he loved them. He said, come to me, I can help you. And that's what we're supposed to do. And like you're saying, oftentimes Christians, or, you know, we, we think that we have to fix the people. You know, we think that, wait, no, I have, to, I have to get this right in your life when we can't do that. You know, 
you bring them to God who is full of grace and truth and God is going to help them out of whatever they're doing. And God's going to help them to say, Hey, look, you're accepted here. You can come here to me. You know what I mean? And just if people can get a hold of that, like you're saying, and be full of grace and truth and just love these people and be like, you can come, you know? And what's crazy is sometimes, especially for people like me and it sounds like you, when we grew up in church, we forget how our sin put Jesus on the cross, just like everybody else's did. You know what I mean? It's not that we're some sort of hierarchy and other people are, you know, these terrible people that are stuck in the problems. If the only reason we're here is because God reached down just like when we were like them, you know what I mean? So all we have to do is bring them to God and be like, okay, look, you can, you can come, you know what I mean? And I think that's, what's beautiful about the, I, what's the tagline of the, of the film? Is it, um, if you open their heart, there's room for everyone. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 That's what it is, is bring, bring people to God and God will do what God does best. And that's save, save people out of the messes. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think right now we have this obsession with right and wrong and the other person that opposes your values and your, your, your worldview and everything. But like, I think it's less about right and wrong. And like you said, more about love and grace and, and uh, let that stuff will sort itself out downstream. But like, if you're not presenting as a loving being, I just don't, I don't really think there's so many verses in the Bible. It's like, I think for you to really walk with Jesus, you should effuse love. Like literally, man, I think people who probably walk on the highest and the highest clouds with Jesus, like however they do that. I'm definitely not that yet, but um, I think, it would probably be something in a supermarket that would stop people. Like people would be like, what is with that guy, man? Like you would literally have like yeah. a force field of peace and love around you everywhere you went. And people would be like, bro, <laughs> what's going mm-hmm. on? Tell me about this. Like where, how can I get in on this? Oh, well, I walk with Jesus, you know? Um, so yeah, it man. Two greatest commandments. It's love God, love others. Like yeah. it wasn't, don't do drugs. It wasn't, don't do all these things. If, if you love God and you love others, all these things will come, you know, with that. I, I personally agree. And I know like that opens me up for a lot of criticism and makes me, you know, a pariah in some circles and, um, op- you know, open for, uh, you know, being called a whatever, a black sheep out there. But I just think my read of it and my take of it is, um, you know, uh, Paul said, Paul said a couple things, but he said to the Corinthians because, um, they were a church that had, you know, they had a lot of good stuff going for them. They were kind of like proud of themselves and they weren't really loving. And he, and he said, um, I, I could speak with, uh, I could speak in like ethereal languages of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a noise, I'm noise, I'm nothing. And, uh, and, you know, and then he, he did the love chapter to them. He said, love is patient, kind, you know, doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. And he was trying to call them back into like a more loving flow. Um, and, uh, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. They'll know, you know, it's like, um, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Look how they love each other. You know, um, it's a very, it's, it's so baked into the text and yet it's, it's so easily like forgotten and swept to the side when you're mad about some political issue or you think the culture Mm -hmm. is going in the wrong direction. But I, um, you know, Paul said, 
I'm paraphrasing, but he said, the three, the three greatest things we know in the universe are these three things, are faith, their hope, and their love. But above all of that is love. You know, so he's putting that as the highest value out there. And I think if we, I think if we lean more into that, you know, I, I think what you're saying is right. You know, like in the, when Jesus summed up the commandments, he didn't get into moralist. He didn't get into moralist teachings. He, both of the imperatives were about love, you know, and, and where people will trap you or like, you know, take you to task. He's like, well, you know, part of loving God is being a moralist because it's all these things. Well, maybe, but if you're not showing up in the spirit of love, like how Christ was, no one's going to care. <laughs> no one's going to care about your moralism. They're just not, dude. I'm sorry. They're not. Yeah. And here's, I don't want to keep it too long because you've already been so good. But uh, there's this false idea where you either have to love the sin or hate the sinner. That's not true because I can love, I can love someone. Okay. I, I, I have people in my life that I know that they're doing things that are destroying them. I love them. But that doesn't mean I have to love the things that's destroying them. If I love someone and they're doing things that's destroying them, why would I love the thing that's destroying the person I love? You know what I mean? You can separate the sin and the sinner. I am a sinner, but you can separate my sin with the value that God saw in me when he saved me the day that I got saved. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's all this false idea that, oh, well, if, if, you, if you love someone, that means you're automatically accepting what they're doing. No, that's not true. God loves me. God was not accepting the things that I was doing before. You know, I stole, I, I did all these bad things. God loves me and God wanted to save me out of that whole situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even if he didn't right? like there's natural consequences for our choices and our actions on earth, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, none of that negates your ability to receive love, love from that's God, right. love from others. So yeah. you could be a, uh, dude, you could be an ax murderer on death row and someone, you know, there's a beautiful film uh, called dead man walking, but this nun stayed with this guy. It was his last, it was like his last two weeks of life. And this nun came in to be with this guy who was accused of these gruesome murders. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he spent most of his time saying, Hey, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. She goes, I don't care. I don't care if you did it or not. I'm here to be your spiritual guide as you get ready to like leave the earth and it was just beautiful man because you like showed up for him uh like day in and day out just as a spiritual guide and so up above the heinous acts of this person right up above his choices or lack thereof is the love of god and yeah. and so i think you're right man i think we're i think it's dangerous and it actually frightens me but the the love mandates in christian scripture are almost unattainable. Like I practice towards them. I don't think I'll ever get to the bottom of it. Right. But like, I just wish people would tune in more to that because like you said, dude, like, um, yeah, it's, it seems to me the moralist is like, well, he's got this, this, and this in his life. So we should shun that person until they yeah. are like, no man, like the same love that I feel, you know, from God and the peace that I feel, I want everybody around me to experience that. And I don't care if you're doing drugs or whatever the stuff you're doing. And I, I do hope, like you were saying, uh, I do hope that if people are, are participating in, in destructive behaviors, that they are called out of that or find a way to come out of that or whatever. But that's not my job. My job is to love. And if I can keep putting that forward, 
ahead of everything. I just have to believe that things are going to change and get better for those, for that person. And, and those people, if, why do we find it hard to love those people when those people did not do that sin against us? You know what I mean? If those people are actually sinning against the almighty God. So then if God can love them, if God's like, Hey, come to me, you can still come to me. Why do we feel like, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't love them because like, what have they done to us? You know what I mean? It's, it's completely backwards and it doesn't make all that much sense when you think about it. So, yeah, unfortunately there's a, um, I think there's a fear that comes along with a religious life sometimes like you, you don't want to do anything that puts you in jeopardy of any kind of judgment or going to a bad place when you die or whatever. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people live in fear and that what's that, what that forces you to do is lean more into moralism and, and judgmentality of like, Oh, I don't, I don't like what that person's doing. I don't even want to talk to them. I don't want to look at them because they're evil, you know, whatever, but it's like, oh. <laughs> you know, no, actually, even more so, you know, we're called to love. And again, going back to the concept of how Jesus chose to live his life, he opened himself up for a lot of criticism because he chose not to hang out with the squeaky clean uh, moralist of his day. He hung out with the people that made it very easy to crit- criticize the company that he was hanging out with, the prostitutes, yeah. and the tax collectors and you know, the publicans and all that stuff. And so. So, yeah, man, I mean, that's just, that's how I feel. And I really do stand by, I'm very proud of what our movie, I feel like our movie says um, to not just the church, but culture at large, man. We're just, we're just in a time of hate right now. And um, we, we're not putting love forward. And I really think Christianity could be the most, one of the most loving, powerful forces on, on the earth. Um, but, uh, but for that to happen, we all have to have this return back to love and say, God, no matter what, no matter what my sister is doing that I don't agree with, help me to love, you know, like whatever my best friend's doing, that's like destroying his life, whatever, like help him feel in every conversation that we have, may he not feel judged for me. Maybe, may he feel your love, you know? And I think if more people start returning to that, I think we could see some really amazing things happen for sure. I think so too. Well, Hey, thank you so much for coming on here. It was an absolute pleasure. I loved hearing your heart behind the film and you know, all the composing and all that stuff that you did. Beautiful film guys, go check it out if you haven't. So any last words from you, Brent? Oh man, just thanks for what you're doing. And um, I, I really, I take away some of the things you said, man, you challenged me, you encouraged me today. And um it's great. Like what you're doing. And, um, I just want to encourage you, man. I, you know, it sounds like you're, you're, you're similar, you know, trying to bring more love out into the world. So just want to encourage you, man, but yeah, thanks for inviting me on. And I'm very proud of this movie and I just, I hope it keeps, uh, changing people's hearts and minds and making us all think about the things I think are more important, you know, than, than what a lot of us are focusing on right now. So yeah, man, thank you. Thank you, sir. I'll maybe be talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Keep in touch with me for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay, so that was my interview with Brent McCorkle. I hope everybody enjoyed it the way that I enjoyed it. It was so much fun. Uh, great guy. So if you guys want to go give him a follow on Instagram, uh, check out some more of his work. He was also the composer on I Can Only Imagine, another great film. 
uh, yeah, he's just an awesome guy, and I'm so happy that he came on today. And I also hope that it was a challenge to you to love the way that Jesus loved. And again, it was stated multiple times throughout this episode, but Jesus loved the person and not the sin. You talk, to, you talk about the, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. To her, he said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's not that Jesus is okay with your sin, but it's that he loves you even when you're a sinner. He loves you even though you're a sinner, and he wants to save you out of that. And he wants you to come as you are. There is no prerequisite to coming to Jesus. There's no prerequisite. You can come to Jesus as you are right now. Because guess what? If we had to be some good person to come to Jesus, we would never come. We never would be able to. But God says that come as you are and he loves you enough that he will change your life. Like Brent said multiple times in this episode, God will change your life. I can't change your life. No one can change your life but God. So God loves you. Definitely, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior yet, do that. Because that is a life-changing decision that will only impact your life for the good, I promise you. And who cares that I promise you? The Bible, the Holy Word of God promises you that you can come as you are. And you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I don't care. And God doesn't care. He wants you to come to Him. So that is just an amazing uh, truth in God's Word that I just wanted to uh, state again as, as this episode is closing out. Thank you so much for watching. And if you guys want more of these video podcasts, I don't really mind having the camera up. I kind of have, you know, I don't ha really have a set back here, but maybe I'll get something. So if you guys like these video podcasts, uh, I'm going to have a poll in Spotify. If, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see that there's a poll that says, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll put a couple options in there, whether you only want audio or whether you would like to watch the videos and you enjoy the videos. So give me your opinions down there. Please do that. Also, please rate the show four or five stars, whatever you think uh, is is fair <laughs> to give me. Also, uh, if you're on Apple Podcast, thank you also for what you, what you contribute to this. If you scroll down to the bottom of your page on uh, Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a review, because those reviews are very important for for the show, and it will help reach more people with the gospel. For those of you that have done that, thank you so much for doing that. So yeah, just uh, that's a great way to support what I'm doing here. It's a great way to further the gospel. It's a great way to do all of those things. So I, uh, if you could, would do that for me, that would be great. Thank you so much for listening. And also for my Spotify listeners that are watching, uh, look at my shirt. good so uh yeah if you're if you're not watching the video podcasts i told you to switch over guys now you now you weren't able to see my shirt <laughs> uh just just look at it and scroll through the back you can watch it but anyway i am rambling now just because i love talking on the mic and technically right now i haven't been talking on the mic i have uh just replayed what i talked to brent about so i'm done <laughs> so thank you so much for watching brent thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure and I hope to do it again sometime. Thank you all for listening and I will see you in two weeks. God bless. And as we end off yet another episode, I want to remind you of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That's you. That's me. You can put your name in there. That he gave his only begotten son. 
Don't forget that you are loved by God. Don't let anybody tell you that you are not worth it because you were worth enough that Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross for you. And don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram and DM me with any questions, comments, or concerns you might have on this episode, and I will gladly get back to you as soon as possible. So until next time, God bless. Thank you.